Thank you for downloading Paragon Church Podcast from Sunday, February 24th. Why would a loving God send anybody to hell? Thanks for listening, and for more information, visit paragonchurch.com. I want to welcome you here for our third week in our engaging questions. We've been talking about uh, engaging in our community, about engaging in the gospel, about engaging with God, about engaging in prayer. And then as we talked about engaging in the community, we have come to the realization that there's going to be questions that the community asks us. Questions that are out there that people have as a hurdle to Jesus Christ, as a hurdle to Christianity. Our first week when we dove into these questions, our first week was, is God real? How can we know that God is real? And we're going to even touch on that a little bit more even today as we're diving into this. But um, we, we really just looked at the fact that, that of who he is, his attributes that he had. So that was our first week. And then last week, I want to thank uh, Dr. Phil for filling in for me last week. I was here, but you know, his testimony that he shared a few weeks ago really hit me. And I said, you know, this would be a perfect time. Because the question was, is why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? And, and why would a good God allow good people to suffer? And it was a question that we, we dove into, and uh, uh, a statement even more so that there's people that just can't believe that a good God would allow good people to suffer. And he gave us five reasons on why God allows us to do it. And it's interesting, even this week, as we looked at it, one of the things, one is that we live in a fallen world, but other was to be an example to others. And I actually uh, had a, a busy Friday. And on Friday morning at 3 o'clock, my phone rang, and it was the Rio Rancho Police Department letting me know uh, there was a chaplain call out for me to go to. And it was for a, uh, a gentleman who had passed away in his sleep. He was only four, in his mid-40s. Uh, and his, uh, his daughter uh, was actually asleep in the other room. Uh, and didn't have any idea. There was two officers, myself, standing in the middle of the living room. Mom was at the kitchen table, and we were kind of consoling her. But the daughter comes walking out trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, God gives us things in our life to be able to relate to other people. And I lost my stepdad when I was 17, so I had at least a little bit of a connection there to say, hey, you know what, people are going to tell you they know what you're going through. They're wrong because they don't know. Now, they may have walked through those steps, but that's part of the reason why God gives us that is to be an example to others. Because even that evening, I had another phone call from the Rio Rancho Police Department. And this time, it was a woman who had passed away uh, in her 70s, but her 30-year-old daughter was really struggling with that. I just lost my mom a few years ago and able to relate in that same way. And so we have these things. We're given these things uh, not so much as gifts, but as opportunities to be used for the glory of God. And that's what Phil shared with us last week. And so that was our two big things that we started off with. And as a matter of fact, the question that Phil covered is actually the second biggest hurdle, according to surveys, for people coming to God. Today, we're going to talk about the first biggest hurdle. The first biggest hurdle for people coming to God and, and understanding Christianity and understanding who God is. And I kind of already told you this uh, up front, but we're not going to be able to cover everything today. As a matter of fact, we're going to cover as much as we can in our time, but for the discussion purposes, man, I would encourage you to get involved in a connection group. I encourage you to, to, to look uh, into some books on this because there are so many things to talk about as we talk about our discussion today, and that is this. Why does a loving God send people to hell? Why does a loving God send people to hell? And you know what the least popular subject for any preacher to preach on is? Hell. And you guys asked the question, I said, 
I'm just going to push that one off to the side, and hopefully more questions come in that I can actually want to answer, and they didn't. So we're going to stick with this one today, and there were some sub-questions that kind of went with this. It was, is hell real? Is the punishment for sin uh, in hell really necessary? Is sin so bad for 70 years that you have to spend eternity in hell? Is hell eternal? Uh, These are questions that were coming in. And then we had, well, what is sin? And what things do we do that are sin? You know, what things can can we define as sin? And what things are just things that God created us to be? There was questions along those lines. And really, we're going to try and touch on as many of those today as possible. Because what we want to look at is we want to look at who God is first. We'll go back to the, is God real? We're going to look at the attributes of who God is and why God can or can't tolerate sin. Why in our lives do do we have this sin? Why does it separate us from God? Why does does the church and Christianity believe these things? And so this is a pretty heavy topic. This is a pretty heavy discussion. And I know Jerome's already prayed for it, but I want to just go ahead and pray one more time to make sure that as we go into this, I know there are different thoughts in this room on hell. I know there's different thoughts on sin. I know there's different thoughts on what is sin. Uh, But this is what I'd like to pray for today. I'd like to pray that we get our own agendas out of the way and we listen to what God has to say from his word. That's my prayer today. Let's do that right now. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for the way you work in our lives and continue to challenge us and continue to grow us closer to you. But today, God, this is a subject that is difficult. This is a subject that is heavily debated even among Christians. I pray, God, that we get our own selves out of the way, our own misconceptions out of the way, our wrong views about who you are out of the way, and instead, we truly get to realize who you are today, that we let go of our own thinking, and we just cling to you. We pray it in your name. Amen. I think far too often in our lives, we like to make God who we want him to be. We want to make God who we want him to be. We want you to say, God, this is the box that you need to fit in. We like to, to really customize God and, and say, we have a box, and we say, we're going to put these attributes in there, we're going to leave these attributes out. We want to pack him into this and say, this is the God that I want to believe in. You know, it's funny, um, we do that with lots of things in our life. The other day, we were driving down um, uh, Montano, and as we were going by, but power forward. I saw the new 2019 Ford Ranger out front. And I saw that and I went, hmm, I used to have a Ford Ranger a long time ago, and I really liked the Ford Ranger. And I was really upset with Ford, actually, that they sold them in Europe and they sold them in Mexico, but they didn't have any Ford Rangers in America, and they finally came back with it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take a look at these Ford Rangers online. I'm going to go click on the Ford website, and I'm going to go look through and kind of scroll through it. And, of course, you click on Ford Ranger, and you know what the first thing they let you do is build your own. You get to customize your own. They're like, what color do you want? What features on the outside do you want? What kind of rims do you want? What kind of interior do you want? What kind of engine do you want? What kind of all of these things? And it had all these different things you can click on. You could keep the things you wanted, and you could take off the things you didn't. And it's not just the Ford website that allows us to do that. Go to Subway. Do they have a sandwich that just is your sandwich? No, they, they have specific things that you can put on specific things you can take off. Anybody have Netflix? Is there not a category that says suggestions we've made based on the things you've watched before? 
We've got your choices right here. We're going to customize to you. Anybody ever gone to a church and said, well, I really don't like that part of that church, but I like this part, so I'm going to stay. Or maybe I'm not going to stay because they're talking about hell and I'm out of here. But um, the, 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 we like to customize things. We like things to fit the way we want them. And unfortunately, we do that same thing with God. We do that same thing with God. And, and we start to begin to say, I like this about God, but I don't like that. So I'm just going to go with this. And it's not something new to us. If you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10 actually says this. They say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things. Prophesy illusions. Tell us the things that we want to hear. Make us feel better about ourselves. And unfortunately, there's churches out there that do exactly that. They avoid the hard subjects. They avoid who we we. Uh, or sorry, they, they lean towards who we want God to be, but we avoid who we don't want God to be. And I began to start thinking about that, and I began to think about the question of why would a loving God send people to hell? And one of the probably biggest statements that I get from people is this. I only want to believe in a God of love. People say that to me. I only want to believe in a God of love. And you know what? I'm perfectly good with that. Because you know what God is? God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. John 3, 16 that says that God so loved the world that he was willing to give up his one and only son. That is huge love. And you know, when you look at the Genesis account of creation, of all religions, do you realize that Christianity is the only one that creation came out of because of love? God loves. He is love. That is his very definition. However, there's something I think we need to understand. It's not his only trait. It's not his only trait. See, I want to be a dad who loves. I want to be a husband who loves. But you know what? That's not my only trait. If you said, hey, describe Matt, and you're like, well, Matt's love. Well, what else about Matt? No, he's love. That's it. There's, there's no well-rounded there. That's just a small trait that I want to have. Well, God has the trait of love. As a matter of fact, he is the definition of love, but he has other traits as well. And some other traits we even sang about this morning, that God is a God of mercy. Check out what Luke chapter 6, verse 36 says. Be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Well, let's talk about grace. God is a God of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul pleading to have the thorn in the flesh removed. And what is God's response to him? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. John 1, 14. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in our going deeper at 9 o'clock. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. Grace and and truth, Romans 3, 21 through 24 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God is grace. God is mercy. God is love. He's also good. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus talking. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we can totally dive into that verse another time because that's just an amazing statement that comes from the mouth of Jesus. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. These are the amazing attributes that we attach to God. These are the ones we want in our God customization box. These are the things we want on our explorer. These are the things we want on our ranger. These are the good things. But there's some other things that we don't sing songs about, or at least not sing as much, because these things that I just mentioned probably make up 90% of the worship songs that we sing. But then there's that other 10% that we don't quite sing as much. And there's these attributes that, that, are, that are in there that, that we see that he's faithful, that he is wise, that he's everywhere, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, that he's self-sufficient, that he's sovereign, that he's never changing. Th- these are things that we have in our thinking and in our knowledge that are also part of the worship, but we don't really focus on those things. But those things are so important when it comes to looking at not only is God love, not only is God mercy, not only is God grace, not only is God good, but he's all of these other things. And then you go to the ones we really don't think about much at all. You go to the ones we don't really sing much about at all, but you have to have it in our God customization box to have balance. To have balance of who God is and why he is that way. Things like truth. Truth. Remember when I read John 1.14, it said that Jesus was full of grace and truth? There's this balance in there. uh, Jesus himself says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's a hard statement for people to swallow. We're going to talk about that one next week. We're going to talk about, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? But as we look at this, he says, I am the truth and I am the grace. And we look at that. Here's what we need to understand. Truth without grace is wrong. And grace without truth is wrong. And sometimes we're very much lean one way, where we're the truth and we're all about the rules, we're all about making sure we do this, and then other people are all about the grace, and they don't care about the rules as much. And we have a tendency to lean one way or another, but we have to understand, if they're not in balance, it's wrong. I mean, here's some things I wrote down. Truth without grace is mean-spirited. It beats people up. Truth without grace lacks love. Truth without grace repels people from Jesus. Truth without grace tends to scare the hell out of people, literally. Some of you maybe grew up in that church, the truth without grace. But then you have the flip side, you have the grace without truth, it lacks honesty. The grace without truth chooses not to confront sin. Grace without truth is being nice at the expense of being real. Grace without truth waters down the gospel and why we even need grace in the first place. Because there is a truth, there is a negative on why we need grace from God. And we skip that oftentimes. See, we need both and we need balance. But truth isn't the only one we like to leave off of the customization of God. We also like to leave on the fact that he's just. He's just. Do you know what that means? Do you know what the word just means? It means morally upright, good, lawful, and fair. It means that God is without injustice. And and we know what injustice is. We see it on the news every day. We see People getting hurt that we think don't deserve it, whatever it might be. But God, God is without injustice. 
And I think we have to hold on to that as we look at this idea. Is hell a fair punishment? Well, we have to understand who God is and that he is just. I mean, the basic blunt answer that is hell a fair punishment is is this. Nobody gets injustice from God. Nobody gets injustice from God. So that should help us in those steps. The other thing we need to understand is that God is infinite. Why do we need to understand that God is infinite? Well, because our sin, as we will look at here shortly, sins against an infinite God. Therefore, we will be infinite because we are made in his image. And so many little things, we're, well, I'll dive into that later. We'll, we'll get to it. But here's the thing. We also need to understand the most important attribute of God. And many times the one that we leave off, unless we're singing an old church hymn of some sort, based out of Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. God is holy. His holiness means so much. It means sacred, set apart, revered, or divine. And yet none of those words adequately describe God's holiness. He is amazing and amazingly set apart. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur writes this about God's holiness. Of all the attributes of God, holiness is the one that most uniquely describes him, and in reality is a summation of all his other attributes. The word holiness refers to his separateness, his otherness, and the fact that he is unlike any other being. Listen to this. It indicates his complete and infinite perfection. Holiness is the attribute of God that binds all others together. It means that God is endlessly and always perfect. Perfect. You know what I'm not? Perfect. You know who can tell you I'm not perfect? The back row, right over there. All of them can tell you I am not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Yet Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a standard that, that we're raised to in our lives. But you know what gets in the way of my perfection? Sin. Sin. And when we really look at sin coming into the picture, it truly messes everything up. It messed up God's perfect plan. It messed up God's perfect creation. It messed me up. Sin came in, and it destroyed us. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there a person, Christian or not, belief in God or not, that you can think of that doesn't look around this world and come to the conclusion that we are fundamentally messed up? There is something broken here. I mean, Phil talked about it last week. We live in a fallen world, therefore there is suffering. When we look around, we see suffering we know something isn't right. That something that Christians believe is sin. It is sin. And you know what? When I use that word sin, there is this offensiveness to it in today's society. Because you're calling somebody out for being wrong. You're calling somebody out for, for saying, here is where you have missed God's mark. As a matter of fact, the word sin comes from the term in archery to miss the bullseye. We are off of God's bullseye. And, you know, here's what we really have to understand is that um, I think the reason why people are offended by the, the thought of sin is they really don't know what it is. They really don't know what it is. So, so what is sin? And, and 
if sin is what it is as we talk about it, why would God not just overlook it? Why would he not just tolerate it? Why doesn't he just let everybody into heaven? Why is there a hell? And these are questions that, like I said, are going to come up and, and be in our minds here. And we have to think about that as we look at these verses, like Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is because of that sin that we earn death. That death isn't just a physical death. It's also a spiritual death that is separation from God. But there's a great part of that verse, that there's a gift that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, like I said, it comes from that word archery about missing the mark, but I think it actually goes deeper and wider than that. There's a deeper definition to it than that. And I think this is what it is. Sin is seeking to find an identity apart from God. Sin is trying to seek and find an identity apart from God. Everyone gets their identity their, their sense of being, their, their sense of value, their, their sense of being distinct and unique from something. What is that something? What is that something for you? Um, what is that someone for you? What is that somewhere for you? There's a guy by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. He was a Danish philosopher back in the 1800s. And we had to sit down, and I remember going to Bible college and having to read his stuff, and I'm like, I don't like this at all. It was just way too heady for me. But let me tell you a little something what he said about the humans and what they are. He says, human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their identities in and on and through him. Anything other than this is sin. See, when we think of sin, most people that I talk to think of breaking ten rules, ten commandments. And when I talk to people about sin and how good of a person they are, you know what they generally will use as their, their, their basis or their, their way of weighing out their, their good versus their bad? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't broken that many of the ten commandments. Or I follow the ten commandments and I look at them and go, yeah, right. We don't. I mean, there's a couple of them in there, yeah, that we don't do. But for the most part, we're like, yep, guilty, 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 guilty. But that's what we like to base it on. We, we, we look at this, well, as long as I don't break these divine rules. As a matter of fact, if you look at the definition in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster is sin is breaking divine rules. But like I said, it's, it's bigger than that. Because when you really look at the first of the Ten Commandments, which is don't have any other gods before me, isn't that what we're looking for when we're looking for an identity outside of God? Don't we dive into things that we say, you know what, if I could just establish my sense of self by making something other than my relationship with God more important, that I can find it in my family, or I can find it in my work, or I can find it in my schooling, or I can find it in my car, or I can find it in whatever it might be. We have this whole list of things we try and do outside of God. That is putting a good thing that God has given us into the status of what we've talked about before, a God thing. And when you make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. We try and lift these things up. We try and lay these things out. We try and find our purpose and our happiness in these things. And we see it in our world. You guys know I like movies. The movie Rocky, Adrian, girlfriend, is, is talking to Rocky. And she says, why do you have to go into that ring and go the distance? That's the word she used. Why do you have to go the distance? And you know what his response was to her? 
His response was these words, then I'll know I'm not a bum. He's looking for significance in what he's doing. He's looking for significance in his sport. You want to go to a different movie? Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, one of the characters is talking to Chariots of the Fire, and, and they say, why do you work so hard at running this 100-yard dash, this 100-meter dash? And this is his answer that he gives. He says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. Why are we here? That's a question we all ask. Why do I exist? And we try and find those things. I know for me, when I was growing up, it was sports. I played basketball for a really long time in my life. And I remember, and I've told you this story before, I remember in the locker room after winning the national championship my senior year in college, I sat in my locker and I cried. And the reason why I cried is I knew my basketball life was done. My identity in basketball was done. I had to find something else. So I was going to get old and fat and not be able to run or jump. That was the reality, and it's hit me right now. I'm standing in front of you as a pure example of it all. But here's where, where we, we stand. We, we try to find our existence in something. For me, it was sports. For you, I don't know what it is. Maybe, like I said, it's your family, your kids, your relationships, your success in school, your jobs, or just buying stuff, or in, even following the rules. I, I know lots of people that, that find their identity in just following the rules. And we try to say, you know what, this is where I have to find purpose, and that's where we build God in such a way and customize him in such a way that I can still do this and still say, yeah, heaven's still an option. Heaven's still there. I think we deify and make gods out of great things to find our identity. We, we don't just want to be some cosmic bum. We, we want something in it all. Everyone's building their identity in and on and through something. But here's the thing. If it's not God, it's unstable because everything else can leave you in a moment. Everything else can leave you in the moment. If it's family, your family can leave you in a moment. I don't want to break that news to you, but we're already talking about hell, so I might as well drop that on you. Uh, if it's your friends, they'll leave you in a moment. If it's your job, it could leave you in a moment. If it's success, it could leave you in a moment. And even if you hit success, what says you're not going to have to try and fulfill more because that success isn't enough. We continue to do these things, and you know, what it really, when we look at it, everything will leave us except for one thing, because one of the attributes we talked about God was being ever-present, always there. And so when we, we look at that, we say, well, God's the only thing we should really be building our lives on, but we don't want that. And it goes back, I think, to the original sin with Adam. The original sin with Eve. What was their original sin? It was rebellion against God, wasn't it? They had pride to say, I should be like God. The serpent said that to him. You can be like God. Just take the fruit. And they said, you know, we can be like God. And we like to do that for ourselves too, that pride and that, that rebellion against God. And you know what happened to them? Their worlds crumbled. Not only did their worlds crumble, but all of ours did in turn. So we can lie to ourselves and say, you know what, Matt, you don't understand. If my wildest dreams just came true, if my wildest dreams just came true, then I'd be happy. If my dreams of success, and my dreams of family, and my dreams of all of these things, I'd be at peace with myself. My world won't crumble. If then. 
if I have that fulfilled life of wealth and prosperity and relationships, then you can fill in the blank. But here's the deal. It's just a dream. It's just a dream that isn't going to fulfill you. You know how I know that? I've read the book of Ecclesiastes. I've also lived it. But the book of Ecclesiastes, man, Solomon had everything. And where to get it? Chasing after the wind. It's his life crumbling all around. And you know, they talk to movie stars. They talk to these people who have worked so hard for so long to get all that stuff. And they're just as miserable as they were before. And they say, what is it? And the answer is, I still woke up this morning being me. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter all those things. I still woke up this morning being me. And when you're all about you and there is no God that you're basing everything off of, all that's just going to crumble around you and you know it. And not only does that have just an effect in our personal lives, but think about that if every person on this earth lived like that, which they kind of do. And what's the result of it? What do we see? We see selfishness, we see pride, we see wars, we see arrogance, we see all of these things that are out there. It has a ripple effect. That ripple effect affects everything in our social world. That pride, it, it freely flows from us and it combats against everybody else. One of the things we're going to talk about next week with the idea of coexist. I've said it before, I actually uh, had a, an atheist guy that was coming to the church for a while, really didn't like when I said it and, and stopped coming, which was unfortunate. But the truth is, is that those religions that are marked out and coexist are constantly trying to kill each other. It is the reality. They're trying to destroy each other, trying to say, you know, we'll accept you as long as you do what we tell you to do. That can't happen. And we're going to talk about that, like I said, more next week. But we live in a world that's all about me. And when we say, this is what I want, and this is what I like, and this is what I prefer, and this is what I think, and this is what I think is fair, that ripple effect kind of gets out there. Do you hear couple things in there that I said. There's one letter word I said a bunch of times in there. I. It's about I. It's my customization. God, this is what I want. God, this is what I think is fair. This is why I think you should send these specific people to hell because they're bad. Like Hitler, yeah, he can go. There's only some people though. That, but the other people that, that are just basic normal sinners, they shouldn't go. Who made us the judge? At what point in time did God say, Matt, I really care what you think. I can't find a time. I looked through my history books. I looked through my journals. Oh, I don't journal, so it would be difficult to find it there anyway. But he never asked. You know why he didn't ask? Because he's already told me what he thinks. In his word, he's already given me the things that are out there. I can choose to accept them or I can choose to reject them. But I don't get to say, I don't like it and we're going to do it my way. Because I'm not God. At what point in time... Does the potter get to tell the clay what it's going to be? All the time, right? There's no point in time the clay goes, you know what? I really want to be a cup. He says, I don't design you for that. I design you for something totally different. But we have this way of being the clay trying to tell the potter what to do. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 9. See, I don't think God's too overly concerned about what we think is fair or our definition of right and wrong because he already gave us his thoughts and he already gave us the right and wrong. But that's where pride gets in the way, that I, that centeredness. And let me tell you, when we live that way, it changes everything. Because if I live 
for my family, which is a, I don't think is a bad thing. But when it becomes that God thing, if I live for my family, guess what it tells me about your family? I don't care. And same thing when it comes to my happiness, then yours doesn't matter. Or my race, then yours doesn't matter. Or my nation, then yours doesn't matter. Or my economic status, then yours doesn't matter. If it's me and my pleasure and my desire, nothing about you matters. And that's the world we live in. But imagine just for a second with me. Imagine just for a second with me as we look at society in today's world, if people stopped living for themselves and lived for a greater thing, a greater purpose, let's just say, God, how would this world be different? It would be different, wouldn't it? God, God would have laid that out for us. We would see it. We would know it. We would understand it. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we actually live that out, wow. That would be exactly where God wanted it. That would be where it was supposed to be. But once again, pride, sin, rebellion in the way. I have to tell my kids this oftentimes. We have a choice. We have a choice to make the right choice. We have a choice to make the wrong choice. And when you have a choice to make a choice, there's also a consequence that comes with it. And I tell my kids, good choices generally have good consequences. Bad choices generally have bad consequences. We have a choice. We have a choice in who we live for. We can live for God or we can live for ourselves. We can worship God or we can worship ourselves. Like it's, there's got to be something that fills that hole. We were made to worship. And since we were made to worship, it means that somehow, some way, something's going to get worshipped. It was either going to be God or something else. When we worship God, there's going to be a consequence. When we worship something else, there's going to be a consequence. And as you lay that out, we have to understand we are rebelling against our Creator. When we are sinning. And we can choose to live for him. Or we can choose to live for ourselves. And that is going to have a consequence. And that is just a really, really long introduction. To the question that was originally asked. Because I think in order, in order to answer this question. Of why would God send people to hell. What is hell? Why can't he overlook sin? We had to look at what sin is. And we had to look at who God is. So as we dive into this. I first want to ask, answer the question. Is hell real? Because I think that's going to be the one that flows into everything else. And it's not an easy question to answer. Because like I said, some of us have some very different viewpoints on what hell is in here. And the thing is, you have biblical verses to back it up. There's a book inside this closet over here called The Four Views of Hell. And I read it and went, sounds like all four of them are right to me. But yet they all conflict. So, so how do we really lay this out there? What do we look at? See, I believe that heaven is real. And if I believe in a heaven, therefore there has to be a hell. If, I, if you believe the Bible is true, if you even believe a little bit about what I talked about with God and sin, you have to believe hell is real. If you believe that Jesus was even just a good teacher, not even the Son of God, if you just believe he was a good teacher, you have to believe that hell is real. Because 13% of what he talked about was hell. 13% of the things he talked about was hell. Only money and heaven were things he talked about more. Isn't that just crazy to let your mind wrap around? So to say that hell isn't real is to call Jesus a liar. Calling Jesus a liar tells me that, that he's not a savior. And we can just let that snowball keep going. But I think as we dive into this, it's like I prayed up front. Just let God speak. Let's let go of what we think and let God speak today. 
because I think it's really interesting there's a higher percentage of people who believe in the existence of a heaven than they do in the existence of a hell. Because they like to, to customize. According to the Bible, hell is just as real as heaven. The Bible clearly and explicitly teaches about a heaven and about a hell. And there's a real place where wicked unbelievers are sent after death. It says in Romans 3.23, already read it, that we've all sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us that there is a just punishment for that sin, and it is death. Remember, God is a just God, and this is a just punishment. Since all of our sin is ultimately against God, Psalm 51 tells us that, that rebellion and that he is an infinite and eternal being and we're made in his image, that punishment for sin and death must be eternal. And Jesus said it's eternal. And I know that's one place where you might disagree with me. We could talk about it another time, no problem. But, but here's the, the thing. Hell is infinite and eternal death is there that we've earned because of our sin. The great thing is, in that Romans 6.23, there's a but. But the gift of God is an eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the punishment of the wicked and the dead is described throughout scriptures. Matthew 25 calls it an unquenchable fi- or eternal fire. Matthew 3 calls it an unquenchable fire. Shame and everlasting contempt is mentioned in the book of Daniel 12. A place of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where first uh, the fire is not quenched. A place of torment and fire, everlasting destruction. The lake of burning sulfur, tormented day and night forever and ever. And some people are like, whoa. And it is a whoa. Because hell is real, and it is crazy described in the Bible. And some people are like, well, that's just figurative language. That's not literal. That's fine. We can go with that. It still sounds pretty bad figuratively. Okay? It's a place that I don't want to go. And really, when we stop and we think about it, there are two things that I really want to really let you know about. But even before we get that, as we are diving into this, I want you to let you know I don't know about hell because I've never been there. And I don't ever plan on going, okay? So I'm going to take what the Word has to say about it and that we dive into with that. But like I said, people in church will debate lots of things about hell. Some big pastors that are out there even say that hell doesn't exist. I mean, that's how far this customization of God has gone. But within the debate, I think they go back and forth, whether it's literal or figurative or back and forth about fire and darkness. Here is what we need to understand. Here is where we have to be at. It's the fact that people without Jesus will spend eternity there. That is what we have to grasp. Instead of taking so much time about arguing and so much energy about arguing, one of the things we've done is we talked about engaging these questions. It's not about your information that we're doing this. It's about your information applied. That we need to apply this. Because no matter if it's figurative or it's literal, I don't want my family to go there. Whether it's literal or figurative, I don't want the cashier at Walmart to go there. But when I look them in the eyes and I choose, I am not going to share Jesus with them, what am I saying? And that is where I'm sitting at with all of this. We, we live in a world that tries to shape reality to fit their desires. Some of the things that go on out there are completely ludicrous. Some of the thoughts, some of the, the identity issues, some of the things they say, well, I feel like, therefore, I am. Oh! But that's the world we live in, and we do the same thing with God. We try and say, I feel, therefore, God is. But let me just tell you just two quick things. The things I see so clearly in Scripture 
of all the debates that are out there, one is that it's eternal, and two, it's eternal without God. It's eternal without God. Second Thessalonians 1, 1 says it's without the presence of God because we've already talked about his omnipresence, which means he's everywhere, which means his power's there, but his presence isn't there. And what does his presence mean? Well, in Psalm 16, it says his presence fulfills our joy. So if his presence isn't there and we have no joy, that is what hell is. Whether it's fire or darkness or all the things, what I think it is is it just boils down to the fact that it's God removed. This world has God in it, and think about how bad it is. Think about God removed. Think about joy and peace and love and patience and all of those things removed. What's really funny, and not ha-ha funny, but funny is when you really stop and think about it, most people want to live a life without God or without God at the center. Yet they like the idea of heaven. You know what heaven is? It's God. And God at the center. Some people come into worship and say, I really don't like worshiping. Guess what eternity is going to be in heaven? You better just kind of hold on to that fact. Because that is what is described as. We say, you know what? I don't want to give glory to God. I want to give glory to myself. Well, that's where there's going to be this real issue when it comes to heaven because it's all about him. And that's why I think when we look at hell and see that it's completely removed and eternity really in hell is going to be all about us. And that might sound good to some people, but let me just tell you, what, when you are so self-focused, and maybe as a Christian you've seen both sides of this coin, maybe not as a Christian you've never seen the other side of it, but when you are so self-focused, doesn't things just eat at you and eat at you and eat at you that you can't sleep at night? When you are so self-focused and self-centered, envy takes over, bitterness takes over, success and that lack of being able to actually get your fix for success takes over. It's like an addiction, like drugs. You know, when people go to drugs, they just have to have more to get it. I think, this is just me personally saying it, I think that's hell. I think that's where the weeping and gnashing of teeth come from, from the pain from the inside of constantly having a desire and never being able to have it fulfilled. That's hell. Because it's hell on earth. So why wouldn't it be hell eternally? That 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 trajectory just keeps going up, that I keep wanting more and keep wanting more, and I can never be satisfied. Look at Lazarus and the rich man in Luke chapter 16. See it from that angle. I, I get into it, but we're running short on time. But really, when you look at it from a self-centered perspective, when the, the rich man says, can you just have Lazarus dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue? He's basically saying, can you just satisfy me just a little bit? Who's it still about with that rich man? Can you just satisfy who? Me. He's still self-centered. He's still self-absorbed. He can't see it. That's where the darkness is. God is no longer there. There is no light. There is no love. There is no joy. It's all about me, and he can't be satisfied. That is where people without Jesus are going, and it kills me inside. And so often, we just let it go. But here's what I want you to know, and here's what we need to understand. Whatever hell is, the the world is bad enough without with God's influence on it, it's going to be way worse. It's going to be way worse. So why do we not share the gospel? The gospel being the good news of that grace, of that mercy, 
that there is a truth, that there is a hell, but God has saved us from it through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why don't we do that? And then we go, well, man, why does God hate sin so much? That He would create a hell or that, that hell would exist or whatever you want to say. If, if some people believe He created hell, some people believe He didn't. That it was just a place for the demons and the angels and, or the, the demons and Satan and, and all the things that go with it. You know, there's all kinds of debate on that too, but, but, but why does God hate sin so much? Well, we've already talked about what sin does, but let me just kind of clarify it again. Sin separates. Sin destroys. It causes us to run from Him. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, who ran from whom? Did not Adam and Eve run and hide? That they wanted to be away from His perfect holiness. Sin deceives, it enslaves, it lessens our love for the Father, it blinds us, it, it causes us not to be looked on by God with favor. I mean, that's a heavy load. It really is something that I think it's easy for us to point out others' sins. And we'll say, yeah, I can see where sin deceives and sin blinds and sin does this. But we forget to look at our own. That has also deceived us and has also blinded us without Jesus Christ. There's, there's not just one sin or a couple of sins that God tolerates. He, we might point out the ones, well, he obviously isn't going to like Hitler. He obviously isn't going to like that person because of their, their choices, whatever they do. And we point, 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 point. And Phil made a great point last week where he said, we have a tendency to point everybody else and forget that three fingers are still pointing back at us. Actually, my kids point like this now, just to make sure. <laughs> so that's not pointing to me. But, but we, we have this tendency to do that. That we forget all of these things that, that, that sin does between us and God. Here's what I understand. If one of my children was involved in something that separated me from them, if they were involved in something that destroyed them, and it involved something that they caused them to run from me when I came to them, I would hate it too. And I am not holy like God is. Just imagine the, the hatred that he has for sin, and that is the reason why he cannot tolerate it. And that really, really steps us into this last thing. Why does God, a loving God, send even good people to hell? And there's really two sides to this coin. In one sense, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Two sides of the coin. Let me explain the first side of the coin here. First thing is this. We have touched on this already, but hell is the culmination of telling God to get out. I don't want you at the center of my life, so why would I want you at the center of my eternity? You keep telling God to leave you alone, and finally, guess what he's going to say? Okay. Okay, and that's why the Bible describes it as darkness, because God is light, and there's an absence of light that is there. There's going to be an absence of love. There's going to be an absence of friendship. There's going to be an absence of the beauty of creation. It's going to be darkness, and it's going to be agonizing. You know why they put prisoners in solitary confinement when they do something wrong in a prison? Because being by yourself sometimes is good. Forever? Not so good. Because we are made for relationship. We are made to, to have that relationship and, and to be without it. Just the agony that is there. When we say, you know what, God, I don't want you at the center of my life, eventually we're going to get our wish. And when God leaves, so do all of his gifts. So we have two options, live with God, live without God. If you don't want to live with God as your authority and you get that, that's what I picture hell as. But then there's the other side of the coin, that God does send people to hell. And guess what? All his ways are true and righteous altogether. We might be tempted to rage against God and say, God, how dare you? But it goes back to the same question, whoever made you God? 
Whoever puts you in control? When did we become the holy, righteous, just one to have the same attributes as God and make that decision? That's a hard thing for us to understand, but when we're in this, this 3D world and God lives in a 4D thing, we're not going to understand it. Corey and I have talked about this before. Imagine drawing a stick figure on a piece of paper, and then you put your finger into the middle of that stick figure. He's two-dimensional. All of a sudden, this three-dimensional thing comes in. Is he going to freak out a little bit? Absolutely. Where'd that come from? What came from the creator, the guy who drew you? Well, guess what? That's kind of when God even brought Jesus into our life. We had a hard time really grasping who he was and what he is. See, God does send people to hell. Isaiah 45, 24 reminds us that all who are currently incensed against God will come before him in the last day and be ashamed and not vindicated because they will then realize just how perfect God's ways are. When we see God for who he is, we will understand how perfect he is. I think at the end of all of this, when we stand there and we look back over everything, instead of being mad at God, we'll be amazed at his mercy. I truly think that. We'll be amazed that he was even merciful enough to give us the option. You know how they always say 2020 hindsight? I think we're going to see it clearly. But I want to wrap up with this. We may not like the idea of hell or the way that God does things, but think about this. God sent Jesus to keep us from that. See, God doesn't just take us out of hell, but he has to take the hell out of us. He has to take the hell. If it was just something where, where he said, hey, you need to serve me, and he demanded it, he's God. He could force us. He could be like that in the, the movies when you see it, when the, the guy comes up behind, he kicks him to the knee to make you immediately kneel. He could have do that. that. That's fine. He's God. But he chose not to. He chose not to do it that way. And it may surprise you that, that God is not manipulative. Sometimes we think, oh, he's just trying to manipulate us. He's trying to give us this thing. But he doesn't need to manipulate us because it wouldn't change our heart attitude towards him. And once again, if we don't love him, why would we want to worship him for the rest of eternity? If we, we don't live for him, why would we want to live him for the rest of eternity? And, and I mean, it'd be like this. It'd be like not loving somebody and being forced to marry them and live in their house forever. That'd be pretty miserable. And so God doesn't want that. He, he wants us to learn to love and trust him. But how does that happen? Well, it happens as he gives us a new life. Not just a fixed heart, but a new heart. A changed life. We become a new creation like it talks about in 2 Corinthians. That's what he wants. He wants us to begin to follow out through him and, and in him. It's not just enough to take us out of hell, but he had to take hell out of us. And he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. God doesn't hate us. And I think there's this weird thing that we have this idea of, of God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. By the way, he's never changing, so that's not the truth. But we see God of the Old Testament as being this almighty smiter. And he's always angry at everybody and always wanting to do these things. Well, well he has a plan for everything. We don't get to understand all that all the time and put ourselves in his shoes. But, but here's what we need to understand. He doesn't hate us. He's doing it for our good and our benefit. He loves us more than anything, so much so that he poured out his wrath on his son for us. Can I ask you a question today before we leave? Do you know that? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because he came and lived and died and rose again for you and for me to take that wrath from God. If you don't, I would like to talk to you about it today. If you do, can I challenge you to share it with somebody else? 
I don't know about you, but I hate kink. My guess is, looking around the room, that you somehow, in some way, have had an effect or been affected by cancer. Whether of yourself personally, a family member, a friend, I'm pretty sure all of us have had it. None of us go, yay, cancer. As a matter of fact, got an email last week from uh, uh, um, a lady and her husband who had come to the church and said she had just been diagnosed with the big C word. That was the way that it was in the email. We, we hate it so much we can't even say it. None of us celebrate it. But yet, cancer to our body is like sin to our soul. Why in the world would we celebrate it? Why in the world are we okay with it? Why are we in the world not sharing the antidote, not sharing the, the way to get rid of cancer, and that is Jesus Christ? Can I challenge you? If you know this, share it this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. And there are things we don't understand, and even as I say thank you for what you do, sometimes that's just a phrase that I start out my prayers with. But God, we, we do thank you for what you do. Because even when I don't understand it, you do. Even when I don't agree with it, it doesn't matter. You are God. You are holy. You are just. You are true. You are right. You are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are love. All in perfection. Not me. And God, when I, I change my heart and I change my mind, it doesn't work. But when you change my heart and you change my mind, that's where it all starts at. You working inside of me to bring me closer to you, to love you instead of stuff, to move from selfish to selfless. God, that is what I pray for today in my own life, to continue me on that path, to allow me to lead my family on that path, to move closer to you, not closer to stuff, but closer to you, because there's one direction I can choose. I can either choose you or I can choose the world. I can choose to follow you, and the world grows dim behind me. Or I can choose to follow the world and you just stand there and wait for me. God, I pray today is a day that I am choosing you.